Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on the touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Norma. And I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Triple Negative Breast Cancer, Coping with the Fear of Recurrence. And today's program is a collaborative effort between the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care. And I really want to thank them for their support of this program. And today's program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, Gilead, a grant from Genentech, and an independent educational grant from Merck and Company, Inc. And I really want to, again, thank them for their support. Um, now, we have um, a lot of you on the call today. We have over 370 participants on the call, and you come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants, and a lot of countries actually, Australia, Bangladesh, Canada, Hungary, India, Israel, Ireland, Kenya, Malaysia, Netherlands, Philippines, Portugal, Saudi Arabia, and the United Kingdom. This is clearly a global call as well, and we really are delighted to have all of you on the call today. Now, um, before I introduce our first speaker, um, I, um, I would like to ask you just a few questions before we actually formally start the program with our speakers. And so I'm now going to um, just ask you just a few questions. Um, and uh, um, and the first question is, and for those of you who are live streaming, you'll be able to see the questions and you'll also be able to uh, rate this kind of rating scale. On a scale of one to five, with, with the one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the second question is, I understand fear of recurrence, events that may trigger fear of recurrence, and living with continued uncertainty. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand tips for coping with the fear of recurrence. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand guidelines for follow-up care, screening and well-being lifestyle modifications. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be our last question. I understand using mind, body, and stress management techniques to cope with this fear of recurrence. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So 
So I want to thank you all for your participation in these questions. It really helps us to get an understanding of what you know coming into the program and also as we plan future programs to be mindful of what your responses have been. So thank you very much for those of you who have participated in this. I really appreciate that. And now I want to introduce our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Lydia Shapira. Dr. Shapira is Director, Cancer Survivorship Program, Stanford Cancer Institute, Professor University Medline, Medical Line, Medicine Oncology, Member Stanford Cancer Institute, Member Maternal and Child Health Research Institute, Editor-in-Chief Cancer.net, American Cancer Society of Clinical Oncology. And Dr. Shapiro will be addressing an overview of triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19, making informed treatment choices, promoting effective healthcare communication, and communicating with your healthcare team about quality of life and lifestyle concerns. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Shapiro. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner. It's such a pleasure to be with all of you today. And let me start by just saying that the experience of COVID-19 is going on for so long, we almost need to talk about phases of the pandemic. Uh, we have seen interruptions in treatment. We have seen a disruption in the way cancer care is delivered. And importantly, we also have seen fear, ambient fear, in addition to the fear of cancer progression, the fear of cancer recurrence. And this is something that has affected everybody. The person with cancer, their care partners, and their cancer care team. At the height of the very early phase, uh, many of my colleagues in New York, Boston, and other cities around the world were redeployed to attend to COVID patients. Entire cancer wards were closed. So it really has affected the way we have delivered and experienced care. And let's face it, there have been some serious, perhaps even devastating consequences we saw more women coming in with more advanced cancers because they delayed getting care. They simply could not access care. They might have missed their initial screening or they might have been afraid to come in with symptoms. There have been delays in surgery. Treatment plans were quickly reconfigured. More women with triple negative breast cancer started their treatment with chemotherapy, delayed surgery because simply it was not accessible. Many who were undergoing reconstruction had months of delays, maybe very long delays, totally impacted their experience. Those getting chemotherapy and other systemic therapies did so alone. There were no more visitors and infusion areas, and this changed the quality of the experience of getting care, what it felt like to actually learn about a treatment, receive the treatment sitting in the chair alone. There's been difficulty accessing clinical trials, especially for those with advanced disease. We have for so long encouraged and urged patients with triple negative breast cancer to think about clinical trials, but it has been much more difficult. And there's been more anxiety all around. Uh, nurses and doctors and therapists are weary and personally affected by the pandemic. And we've also learned some valuable lessons. Breast cancer experts from all over the world collaborated in putting together new guidelines and protocols for treatment in an incredibly short period of time. The scientific community came together to gather and collect data so we actually will know and will be able to track outcomes and learn something from all of this. We learned to use telemedicine very quickly. 
We can now offer telehealth visits routinely, saving many people hours, reducing transportation costs and loss of wages. We kept people safe while getting cancer treatment. We did not cause infections in our infusion units. We learned how to consent people for clinical trials on the phone. We are simplifying procedures to provide more access to new drugs in the pipeline through clinical trials. We took notice of disparities in access to cancer services and to telehealth. And I truly think that there's a more serious commitment to health equity. And we're learning from all of you just how resilient you are as you adapted to change protocols. For instance, a patient of mine just related that she biked to radiation in New York City um, when she was first diagnosed because she wanted to avoid public transportation. So it's very important to be informed. And as the phases of the pandemic um, are occurring, the information that we have changes because we're learning together. Being informed helps make good choices about screening, about treatment. For instance, let me just give you a very practical example. Uh, when we um, first uh, re resumed uh, screening, once vaccinations for COVID became available, we found that uh, as part of the reaction to the vaccine, the lymph nodes in the armpit and the axilla were often enlarged. And initially, we were concerned. And of course, if you've had breast cancer and you have your mammogram and it says you have enlarged lymph nodes, you worry. So it was a huge amount of anxiety first. And then once we learned this, then we um, told patients who were booking their mammograms not to do it very soon after receiving the COVID vaccine. So we are learning together. Um, in terms of uh, being informed, it's really important pre and post COVID always to be informed, for instance, in making a decision about what surgery to have. It's important to understand things so that our initial reactions or perhaps even emotions um, can be offset by understanding what we know about different treatments. So access to expert vetted information is key. This is available these days through advocacy groups and professional organizations. And as uh, Caroline mentioned, um, for instance, the uh, ASCO website, cancer.net, uh, has an enormous amount of expert vetted information. We can also access information through social media. It's accessible. It's a great way to find both information and support and connect with others. But we do worry about social media also spreading misinformation. It's very, it's, it's very easy to um, view a video and, and forget that it's important to check the source to make sure that information is credible. When it comes to communication with your healthcare team about both quality of life issues and lifestyle concerns, I think my advice here, based on many years of experience, in addition to understanding a little bit about this, um, the literature we have about this, is to be prepared to prioritize your concerns and to practice. So. Be prepared. If you know what the visits typically are like, perhaps you wouldn't know that for your first consultation, but after that, if you know what the visits are like, anticipate how long you're going to be spending with different people on the cancer team and perhaps prepare for that. Try to figure out what it is that's important to you. Perhaps rank order your top concerns and make sure that you tell 
the members of the cancer team that these are things that you want to discuss before the end of the visit so that there'll be enough time. Practice saying your questions out loud. Set a stopwatch. (laughs) Same as if you were preparing a presentation for a meeting. All of this just to give you confidence that you are ready and that you'll get the most out of the visit. And if you don't um, feel confident or you need more time, also say that. Say that you may need more time. Who on the team would be able to give you a call after the visit to go over some of the things that were said? It's also important to understand the roles within the cancer team. Who can help you with appointments? Who do you talk to when you have a clinical concern like nausea or you know how to take other medications? Who's there after hours? And who is there to give you advice on financial concerns and to give you psychosocial support? So when it comes to quality of life, you are the expert. How you view the situation will also affect how you experience and you live it. If you feel your body is capable of handling the treatment, you'll probably be more proactive. You'll have a more proactive approach in managing the side effects. And you'll find a way of communicating with your team and getting their advice and input. If you feel cancer is a catastrophe and you're overwhelmed by decisions you need to make about treatment and the treatment itself, your experience is likely going to be much harder. Finding a mindset that helps you live with and through the illness is really important because it'll determine what you pay attention to and it'll act as a filter for your experience. And I'm sure my colleagues, Dr. Rowland and Dr. Hurley, will come back to this as they discuss how to handle the fears of cancer recurrence. When clinicians talk about quality of life and lifestyle concerns, we usually think about exercise, nutrition, sleep. These may be activities that are very meaningful to you, but may go under the clinical radar, things you may not be asked during routine, routinely during a visit. And if they're important to you, bring them up. Other concerns like sleep, sex, money, if these are important to you and you have questions, bring them up. In COVID-19 times, many of the concerns have revolved around fear of getting the disease, safety of vaccines, need for boosters. Oncologists typically follow CDC recommendations, and I strongly recommend that you ask your team what they recommend for you. So as we're now entering into this longer, hopefully later phase of this pandemic, maybe it'll take another year, I wish you patience. I wish you endurance. Stay safe. And thank you for your attention. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Shapira. That was a wonderful way to start the program today, and you really set the stage for the entire program. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. Thanks for your eloquence. Thank you. Um, our next speaker is Dr. Julia Rowland. Dr. Rowland is a senior strategic advisor at Smith Center for Healing and the Arts. And Dr. Rowland will be addressing concerns that cancer may come back, fear of recurrence, events that may trigger fear of recurrence, living with continuing uncertainty, and balancing reality with stress management tips. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Rowland. Thank you, Carolyn, for the lovely introduction and the opportunity to be part of today's program. So what do we know about fear of recurrence or worry that cancer will come back? First, it's the most commonly reported long-term effect of receiving a cancer diagnosis. Sometimes this takes the form of fear of occurrence or worry about developing a new cancer related to the original one 
perhaps due to genetic predisposition or other factors, or to the cancer treatment itself. So if this is a worry for you, you are not alone. Second, fear of recurrence tends to diminish over time. Although third, it may never fully go away for many women. Fourth, the most important, there are things you can do, which we'll talk about today, to quiet your fears. While you may not always be able to make fear of recurrence disappear altogether, you can find a place to put this cognitively and emotionally in your thinking and feelings so that it does not take over your life. Aside from being the most a common response to cancer, it's helpful to know that there can be triggers to this anxiety. In this context, triggers are events or experiences that cause you to think about your illness and health. Events that elicit the worry response, if you will. Surprisingly to some, anticipation of finishing treatment is very anxiety-producing for many. First, there's the fear that cancer will come back once treatment has stopped, which is common. There's also concern about ongoing monitoring. Who do I call if I have a symptom or a question? How often will I be seen? Under whose care am I going to be now? There's the loss of a supportive environment. Your medical team are not seeing as often. But also the fellow travelers whom you may have met along the way and who provide support to you. At the end of treatment, many women report a diminished sense of well-being due to treatment's effects. Commonly, one hears women tell you, I felt much better before this all started, and now I have multiple concerns and complaints. And finally, there are the social demands of re-entry. Everybody wants you to be who and how you were before breast cancer was ever diagnosed. But the reality is, recovery takes time. It's helpful to talk to your oncology team about what to expect when treatment ends and the plans for care and follow-up, a topic that Dr. Fleischman will cover later. Among the most common triggers to worry after treatment are scheduled follow-up visits, anticipating and going to these. Many women report being anxious days before each follow-up visit or test. Some even start to become anxious weeks in advance. Expecting to eliminate all feelings of anxiety around a follow-up appointment is unrealistic. However, if you're one of those people who find themselves spreading weeks in advance, it may be helpful to talk to a counselor who can explore with you ways to allay your anxiety and find a more peaceful frame of mind. Additional triggers common in the post-treatment period include anniversary dates, the date you were originally diagnosed or ended treatment or experienced some major event across the course of care. Appearance of a suspicious symptom will elicit anxiety. As one of my patients once remarked to me, a headache is no longer a headache. It's a potential brain tumor. I suppose the parallel today for all of us is a sniffle or cough or no longer a sniffle or cough. It could be COVID. Sort of, let's say, kind of catastrophizing and worrying. And naturally, times of stress are a trigger. When things around us are difficult or contentious, we worry for our health. Not surprisingly, three additional triggers are often cited as eliciting thoughts of recurrence. Illness of any kind in a loved one or friend, the death of a fellow traveler to cancer, and reading stories or watching programs about cancer. So what can you do when these fears arise? I think it's helpful to think of approaches to reducing fear of recurrence as falling into three broad categories. 
behavioral actions to reduce risk where possible, cognitive emotional actions for reducing anxiety, and behavioral actions for reducing anxiety. Behaviors women can take to reduce risk and improve physical well-being include first and foremost engaging in physical self-care. This means having regular physical exams for your whole body, not just your cancer, and adopting healthy lifestyle behaviors. Eating a balanced diet, maintaining a healthy weight, sleeping well, exercising regularly, quitting smoking, reducing alcohol intake, and decreasing sun exposure. It's also important to consult your doctor or nurse when symptoms or questions arise. Sitting with worry is stressful and not good for your well-being. Better to get answers than fret over something that may or may not be of concern. In this regard, obtaining accurate risk information can also serve to reduce anxiety. Studies show that many cancer survivors overestimate their risk of recurrence. Having a conversation about what is the likely risk for you specifically can be very reassuring. Another set of strategies to manage fear revolve around changing how you think about risk. In this regard, it's helpful to recognize that triggers to anxiety exist and to know that anxiety fluctuates, so you do not feel blindsided by these feelings when they arise. Refocusing thoughts to reflect on the positive changes that have resulted from your experience can help in times when the negative threaten to overwhelm your thinking. Many women also report enjoying life one day at a time, and focusing on days of wellness helps to reduce anxiety. It's useful to remind yourself, too, that you have done everything possible to promote your well-being, seeking and receiving good care, being your own best advocate, and learning as you are today about new ways and techniques to enhance your self-care. Which brings me to the third set of strategies for reducing fear of recurrence. This behavioral actions for reducing anxiety. Chief among these is practicing emotional self-care and compassion. This includes such behaviors as planning trips and pleasurable activities, doing nice things for yourself, drawing on community and family supports, Taking time out for yourself, something many women struggle to do. Seeking professional or peer counseling may be appropriate if you feel simply overwhelmed by what is happening to you. Talking with other breast cancer survivors and families can be helpful in discovering you're not alone in your journey, learning coping techniques, and also finding support. In turn, providing support to others or fellow travelers can also be a powerful way way to feel in control and engaged in your well-being and to discover your ability to master your survivorship. Finally, perhaps most powerful of all, is learning and using relaxation, meditation, and stress reduction techniques, which Dr. Hurley will address next. In summary, fear of of recurrence is ubiquitous. While it tends to lessen over time, It may never go away fully, so finding ways to cope with this challenge to cancer survivorship is important. Reassuringly, there's a host of ways to manage this anxiety, and as thousands of breast cancers have taught us over the years, using these techniques allows them to live fully and with joy and hope for the future. Thank you. And now I'll turn back to Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Rowland. That was really superb and just a wonderful presentation. 
um, and helping people to really um, come to grips with this fear of recurrence and have some really helpful um, suggestions from you. So thank you, and thank you for your eloquence. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. And our next speaker is uh, Dr. Karen Hurley. And Dr. Hurley is a psych psychologist, hereditary cancer risk, clinical member, cancer prevention, control, and population research program, Case Comprehensive Cancer Center, Cleveland Clinic. And Dr. Hurley will be addressing tips for coping with fear of recurrence, using mind-body techniques to cope with fear of recurrence, and how to select the mind-body techniques that are best for you. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Hurley. Well, thank you so much uh, for having me and for the opportunity to uh, join uh, this esteemed panel. Uh, so I, uh, basically what I want to be doing, uh, want to do is to kind of add another strand to the braid that we've started and weaving together themes that we've already been hearing. Um, you know, when the, when the COVID pa pandemic first started, we heard a lot about uh, coping and resilience, tips for, you know, trying to uh, deal with the anxiety. And I remember even presenting in an earlier uh, version of this conference on, you know, how do we deal with the double dose of fear of recurrence and fear of COVID. So we've been learning a lot about both coping efforts and maybe even the limits of coping um, in that uh, coping is not all, it's not permanent. You know, we uh, you evolve some strategies to deal with uh, uh, certain stressors and then conditions change and the solutions that you came with stop working and then you have to scramble to find new ones. So the process of coping uh, is is not a, a, a one-time uh, activity, but rather um, something that evolves over time in response to changes in uh, the environment, both your internal environment and what's happening around you. Um, we also know that um, recovery is not a straight line. When I'm uh, doing psychotherapy with uh, cancer survivors, um, you know, sometimes they'll worry about, you know, am I going backwards? Why am I more fearful now than I was maybe six months ago? And that's because, uh, for one, we can't always predict when you're going to encounter triggers. You know, you might hit two or three things all within the same week that remind you of cancer, bringing back um, a level of fear that might be a little stronger, and it takes a while to get that to settle back down again. Also, the process of getting back into your life um, after uh, cancer uh, treatment is over uh, is, a, is a time of reckoning. You start to experience what's the same and, and what's uh, changed, um, what's going to change back, and maybe what is something new in your life that you have to adjust to or accept. And so... Uh, uh, and, and this only happens gradually as you start trying to do more and more and reckoning, uh, you know, what plans did you have that get got interrupted? Uh, can you get back to them? Do you have to modify your goals in some way? Or so there, are there some goals that you had to let go of, right? And so fear of recurrence can go hand in hand with a sense of loss looking at 
what are you know are there things that maybe you're grieving that you're not aware of of things that have changed that won't come back um another thing that happens is that um fear of recurrence can also be fear of losing control once you've gotten it back cancer has this way of kind of uh, almost uh, uh hitting you from the side and knocking you off track and then you know now knowing that it is possible to get knocked off track even if you bring your back uh it bring yourself back to engaging more in life again uh it means that it it's with a new knowledge that uh plans uh are not always as solid as they had seemed to be and so it's part of it's an eternal dilemma for life itself how do we engage fully in life without being overcome by the fear that we don't get to stay and this is you know regardless of a cancer diagnosis or not so um and then how do we commit and commit fully so that we do get to have a full rich life so part of that process then of engaging and embracing new goals um or reconfigured goals after um uh finishing cancer treatment is essentially an act of trust um act of building trust uh, uh in your body and build and regaining a sense of trust in the future right and trusting yourself that what comes along uh down the pike you will be able to uh find uh the flexibility to cope with uh situations that you thought were uh were not possible just as you may have done when you first got diagnosed so we build trust through actions right so so what are, what are some actions that you can take to rebuild trust in your body and rebuild trust in your future um uh there are you know one of the advantages of the the pandemic in a weird way is that there's uh, so much more online that's available now about things like meditation and uh relaxation and uh physical exercise yoga all these all these different things but um there are things that you can do that are more simple and immediate that don't involve having to actually learn how to do anything but you can do almost as first aid when you're having a uh, a moment where the fear of recurrence is is very present so one way to interrupt your thoughts is what, something um is a grounding technique and we can just do this right now if you look around your room and find three things that are green and name them to yourself there's one another another and now look around again and name three more things that are not red there's one there's two there's three notice how you feel a lot of people will say that after uh, doing that exercise just that little interruption that act of naming can give you a little break in your thoughts it's almost like lifting up a window uh to let some fresh air in it gives you a chance to start uh uh naming and releasing negative thoughts that you're having another thing that you can do to uh soothe fear is to do what i call the breath brush again there's no special class needed 
if you notice an area of tension within yourself, is to take a natural breath, doesn't have to be a deep one, and allow the breath to go inward and allow that breath to brush over that tense part of your body as if you were stroking it with a feather or the way that you would touch a baby's forehead, very lightly. Um, And again, just notice what happens. The fear might go down a little bit or the act of tending to it may give you a more intimate or compassionate relationship with that fear. So um, if you've, um, there, there was a movie that came out a few years ago called Inside Out. It was an animated feature, and it was about the different emotions that lived inside a young girl, and each emotion had its own character. And uh, that's something that you can do to get to know your fear, which is if your fear of recurrence was a character, what would it look like? What would it say? What kind of a relationship can you have with this character that lives within you? So uh, in closing, um, I'd like to say and uh, share another uh, technique that I use when I'm uh, working with patients, and that's to ask the question, if looking back on your cancer experience, what are you most proud of? And that question usually takes people by surprise, but then in reflecting, you know, the people will find something that they did, even if it's simple as, I made it, then we might follow with, so how did you do that? And that's how coping becomes individual. When you when you start building on what are you proud of, that's something that comes from you, and that's how you get to a place where cancer does not control you. It becomes one thing of many that is true of you. So thank you very much. Your time. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Hurley. That was really excellent and very, um, very uh, uh, different stance, and just lovely to hear you speaking. Actually, um, and I think that these are wonderful tips for people, um, wonderful suggestions, and I'm sure you'll have questions for you during the Q and A as well. Thank you. Thanks so much. And uh, our next speaker is uh, Dr. Stuart Fleischman. And Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing organizing your follow-up care, the increasing role of telehealth, telemedicine appointments, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, list of questions, and open notes discussion. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you to all of you who have uh, tuned in uh, either uh, on the telephone or online to today's conference. Uh, Because of the nature of uh, a coronavirus pandemic, uh, we're now taping in uh, the end of September in 2021, and things are ever-evolving. So uh, the best we can do at this point is speak about where we've come and where things are ha- how things are happening now. And one of the big changes that we've seen in our care, as mentioned in the other speakers, is the use of technology and telehealth, uh, especially for uh, either an initial consultation, initial meet with um, the uh, oncology team, or as follow-up 
for um, interim visits that um, may have usually been done in person but are now done either on the telephone or online audio, with audio only or even with audio and both video. And um, we moved all moved into this very, very quickly. Um, the providers, uh, many of us were not experienced in this sort of care and patients and families often didn't expect that the, that some of these visits would be made on the telephone or on the computer. And I think we've all adjusted uh, rather quickly, but we're all still learning about the process. So if you're scheduled for a, a telehealth appointment, there are a number of things to sort of settle up in advance. Uh, one of them is to know if it's going to be a telephone call only or um, it'll be uh, on a computer, either on a desktop or a laptop or a, a tablet of some sort that has both a connection to the Internet and the ability to see and hear in both directions. Um, some of these um, visits are made uh, in a certain system or a platform, as the technology people like to call it, and learning uh, who's going to call whom at what time, how to connect, if any special um, application um, is needed to be on your device at home or on your telephone. Uh, all that needs to be addressed beforehand, and the the uh, can't, the office of the treatment team uh, routinely works these things out in advance with you. But if it's a day before or so and you still don't know how this is going to work, please call them so that the appointment can be the most efficient of uh, both uh, getting the right information and for the team to learn how you're doing. Um, if it's going to be on a telephone um, also, again, handy to know who's going to call whom and at what time and at what number. Because you're not in the provider's office in the cancer center, um, a good thing to do is to have a place um, in your house that's a bit quiet. It uh, doesn't have to be soundproof, but a, a bit quiet and where um, you can uh, have uh, and have a, a fully charged device if you're using a telephone or a computer that isn't plugged in at the time of your telehealth visit. Um, think about the questions in, in advance that you want answered during that visit. Uh, that's sometimes hard to do on your own, and in in-person visits especially, many of us would rely on a family member or a trusted friend to come to the visit with us um, and perhaps write down information or help remind us and prompt us of the questions we had. One, uh, with, with all the newness of telehealth to all of us, one of the advantages is that family member or friend can actually be not only in another city, but in another country. Um, and uh, th they can tune in to the call with you and be able to do the same kinds of things that they would do if they were, if you were all sitting in one place in person, saving them travel that may have actually prevented them for being part of the visit. So think about the questions that you want answered and make sure that uh, by the end of the call, those questions are answered for you. Um, it, 
having somebody on, on the line, as in the offices, is generally a, a good idea for all of us. Um, and then finding out what needs to be done as a result of the visit, if prescriptions are, are going to be requested, making sure they're going to the right pharmacy, to the right branch of the right pharmacy, if any uh, lab tests or um, imaging studies, x-rays, CAT scans, MRIs are ordered, knowing uh, where you need to go for that and where who you need to call or who's going to call you to set up the appointment and make sure that uh, all the details are, are fully worked out. So um, these are the kinds of things that we really were not prepared to do uh, as quickly as the um, coronavirus uh, spread through throughout the world, and um, because we've had about, I guess, about 18 months now of practice, these uh, telehealth, telemedicine appointments are going um, a lot uh, smooth, more smoothly. The other important aspect of this is that access to counseling has been widened greatly, whereas. Uh, Many, many patients and families would come into a cancer center uh, to meet for counseling. Now, um, as cancer care has done for many years, this can be done over the telephone um, or through the Internet and can really make this sort of counseling available to someone where it's not available in your city or, or your location. And that is another uh, benefit of telehealth and telemedicine that we really didn't anticipate two years ago before the coronavirus pandemic. The other thing I'd just quickly like to uh, review is the idea that through a program called Open Notes, which is a system where you can see the notes from your care providers in an electronic medical record entry or portal um, if your cancer center uses um, an electronic medical record is something that um, you can certainly benefit from, uh, but there are a number of cautions. Um, many times the um, if we get, let's say, blood tests or imaging studies, the treatment team should be able to look at those results and discuss them with you and reading them before that discussion, especially without good backgrounds in oncology or only a limited background in interpreting these reports can be really confusing. And often um, people will um, jump to conclusions that uh, just are not warranted. So if these reports show up in your notes before you have a discussion with someone in your provider's office, um, the best thing to do is to call and make a telehealth appointment to, to have that discussion and review because these are hard things to interpret out of context. Um, for example, if someone is taking um, steroids as, as a result of being um, on a certain, uh, or, or certain um, on, uh, chemotherapy drugs, um, and it's expected that their blood sugar would be high as a result of that. Um, if it's high, it's not a concern, but the test report would show that it's more than the normal range, and that needs to be interpret interpreted in context. One of the many kinds of uh, misunderstandings that can happen by reading reports without context. 
Um, and the same thing for, Im for imaging reports. Um, have your team help you um, evaluate these and understand exactly what the, meaning, what, the, what the meanings are. So I hope it's been helpful to look at how technology has both um, helped our uh, care in oncology and some of the new challenges that we've all had in, in uh, providing this sort of care rather abruptly. Uh, and now with about 18 months time, I, I believe most of us are, are doing it better and better. I thank you for your attention and turn this back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really excellent and, and just really so very helpful to everybody um, to think about the time that we've had to learn some of these new things, adapt them. Um, it's very important. Um, so thank you so much. I know there are always questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. And our next speaker is uh, Ms. Haley Dinnerman. Uh, Ms. Dinnerman is a lawyer, and she is the co-founder and executive director of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. Um, and she has really built that um, Oh, so many years, actually, um, and her commitment to the triple negative breast cancer um, uh, community has been really quite remarkable in terms of all of the services and things that she does. And what Ms. Dinneman will be ad addressing is the free programs of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, and um, she'll be followed by one of our oncology social workers who will talk more about the specific services that you can access from their helpline as well. And um, so it's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. Dinneman, who actually also is a great supporter of these programs and I think has supported quite a few that we have coming up. You may have noticed that we have a lot of triple negative breast cancer programs coming up, and it's um, a tribute to, to Ms. Dinneman. Thank you so much for that kind introduction, Carolyn. Um, thank you also to my fellow speakers for the excellent presentations, to our sponsors, and of course to all of you listening today. Today's teleconference is one of many programs offered by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. All our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of the triple negative community, from patients to survivors to caregivers and their loved ones. And fear of recurrence is a huge factor in our community, so we try to address it in many of our programs, including this one. Today I'd like to highlight a few of our other offerings. Um, first, we have many TNBC-specific educational brochures and fact sheets that are available in print or also as free downloads from our website. Our popular materials were developed from, with input from members of our TNBC community, as well as esteemed medical experts in the area of TNBC. Like all of our other educational materials, these brochures have special sections addressing issues like fear of recurrence that are important to you. These materials also address topics of particular interest to certain members of our TNBC community, including African-American women, those with BRCA mutations, those with early stage diagnoses, and those with medical, metastatic disease. We work hard to make sure that every member of our TNBC community can find relevant information and practical guidance in these materials, so I hope you'll be able to use them to your benefit. Also, our website, tnbcfoundation.org, offers two free and, um, and TNBC-specific clinical trials matching services um, that are much easier to navigate than other, other portals. Our website also has a constantly updated TNBC news section, and a favorite of our community is our online discussion forums. These forums allow you to easily connect with thousands of women who are living with triple negative breast cancer any time of the day or night. Our community members use the forums to ask questions about treatment, about how to manage side effects, and 
fear of recurrence, and so much more. Um, but most importantly, our discussion forums offer constant and consistent support. So if you aren't currently registered for the forums, you should consider joining them. You can even join anonymously. Another excellent source of information and support can be found in our private Facebook groups. All of these online resources are here to help you and to remind you that you are not alone in this journey. Um, while the TNBC Foundation normally makes every, takes every opportunity to meet with you in person, given the ongoing pandemic, we've had to make adjustments for everyone's safety. So until we can meet in person, we're expanding our virtual programs. We have two wonderful online meetups for our TNBC community, Tuesdays with TNBC Friends and Metastatic Mondays. These online support groups have allowed us to connect the community throughout the pandemic. You can sign up for them um, on tnbcfoundation.org. And we are also planning programs surrounding the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium in December. We hope to be able to take you along with us virtually so that you can learn about new and emerging TNBC research. We're working hard to make it a great experience for you, and I hope you'll be able to join us. Um, if you follow us on Facebook or visit our website, you'll get regular updates and be able to register for these and all our other programs. We're also working on opportunities to connect with you in person as soon as the pandemic is under control and things are safe. So please look out for information from us. In the meantime, we look forward to connecting with you on social media, by phone, or online at tnbcfoundation.org. So once again, thank you for joining us, and I'll now turn the program back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Dinneman, and thank you for your wonderful remarks and for all the services and programs that you offer. Thank you. And um, our next speaker is um, Ms. Lauren Chatelian. And Ms. Chatelian is the Women and Children's Program Manager at Cancer Care, and she will be addressing a review of the free services of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, including their um, helpline. And um, so I'm going to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Chatelian. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered together to ensure that people impacted by TNBC have access to free psychosocial services and support. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline, which is generously funded by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, provides callers with access to comprehensive services. These services include case management, TNBC-specific online support groups, publications, as well as limited financial assistance. By calling the TNBC helpline, individuals are connected with an oncology social worker aware of the physical, emotional, and practical challenges that may arise when diagnosed with TNBC. There are many aspects of a TNBC diagnosis that could be addressed throughout psychosocial supportive services, including offering space to express one's feelings, emotions, and concerns related to recurrence. It is possible that follow-up appointments or milestones may elicit many mixed emotions, as Dr. Rowland mentioned. In thinking about fears related to recurrence, it may be helpful to take into account techniques that have been useful in coping with your diagnosis, determining what may be comforting to you currently, and creating a list of self-care activities. New ways of coping may be explored and developed, as Dr. Hurley spoke about. Joining a support group can be a way of connecting with others going through a similar experience. A support group may help to reduce feelings of loneliness and help to create feelings of hope and empowerment. 
Cancer Care offers national online support groups, including the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Patient Support Group, the African American Triple Negative Breast Cancer Patient Support Group, the Breast Cancer Post-Treatment Survivorship Support Group, and the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Caregiver Support Group for those caring for a loved one diagnosed with TNBC. These online support groups take place using a password-protected message board format and are led by oncology social workers who offer support and guidance. Groups are held for 15 weeks at a time, the next cycle beginning this Friday, October 1st. Registration can be found on Cancer Care's website, cancercare.org. If you are interested in learning more about the support services the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care offer, I encourage you to call the TNBC TNBC helpline at 877-880-8622. We are here to offer you support throughout this experience and look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for your attention and the opportunity to speak today. It has been such a pleasure to be a part of this very informative program. I will now turn the workshop back to Dr. Mesner. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Chaney. That was an exquisite, a wonderful presentation, and thank you for all the um, – and I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Um, now, before we move on to the Q&A, um, I do want to ask just a few questions. If everyone will take about two minutes, and then we'll go on to um, – to take the Q&A, so get your questions all ready. So um, the first question we have here is, as a result of this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19. And again, this is for people who are live streaming, um, and you can rate this, uh, either your highest rating is one, and the lowest rating is five. And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of events that may trigger fears of recurrence and of working with the healthcare team and using suggested tips from the healthcare team to live with continued uncertainty. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of working with the healthcare team and utilizing their suggestions to cope with fear of recurrence. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two more questions. As a result of this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of working with a healthcare team and using their tips to follow guidelines for follow-up care, screening, and well-being lifestyle modifications. One is the highest rating, five the lowest rating. And the last question is, as a result of this workshop, I feel more confident in my knowledge of working with my healthcare team to utilize their recommendations to select mind, body, and stress management techniques that are right for me to cope with the fear of recurrence. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating.
So I want to thank everybody for actually participating in uh, this um, these questions. It really helps us to better um, well, really to better understand um, what you have learned during the program today and also in planning future programs, what modifications we may need to make. And now I'm going to ask Norma to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to move on to questions that you may have. And so I'm going to ask Norma to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions, and we're going to take as many of your questions as possible. Norma? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, Please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Again, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star one. So we have questions from our um, participants. Um, and uh, um, so with the first question, um, uh, this would be a question for um, Dr. Um, Shapira. I am six months post-treatment and just had my first mammogram and ultrasound that are normal. My fear is the reoccurrence in other areas of my body, and how will I know if it returns? If you could address this question in a general way, Dr. Shapira. Yes. Um, first of all, um, yes, this is uh, a quite normal. Um, as my colleagues have said, the fear of cancer recurrence, especially at the point that you are now, when you're about six months away from your last treatment, is very common. So first of all, it's important to understand that, that, it's, that it's a normal fear based on the experience you've had. It's also quite normal that um, almost any physical sensation that you have, you, your mind may um, sort of skip to thinking you know, could this possibly be a sign of cancer recurrence, as was said before? So it's important to take the time to recognize that and try to teach your body um, how to accept the fact that there may be some some things that just happen um, and that they're not necessarily um, ill omens of, or something that uh, speaks to the cancer. Um, there, there are no tests that we can do to reassure every woman all the time that she's safe. So what we need to rely on are the built-in checks, typically every three months for the first couple of years after treatment, every six months after that, and yearly usually after five years or so, depending on the circumstances. So I think sort of uh, coming to terms with the fact that you are, your body is, is working for you to recognize what perhaps is abnormal, finding a way to speak to your cancer team or your primary care physician if you have a sensation that you don't understand and worries you and just follow the, um, you know, the sequence for follow-up care. And with time, for the most part, these fears will subside. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, and a question for Dr. Rowland. Um, um, can you recommend specific books or articles that address the post-treatment fear of of a cancer recurrence? Well, that's a great question. You know, it's um, there have been a lot of personal accounts, so if you are a big web watcher, there have been personal stories about this. I, I would have to say I don't offhand, maybe my other esteemed colleagues would know of a particular book that talks about this. I hope what you've heard today are tips for managing it, which is the most important take-home from 
I hope this this afternoon or today's teleconference is what can you do when those fears arise? Um, you know, what kind of actions can you take that would provide you some relief about that? You've heard Dr. Shear just talk about one now, about some of the common kinds of things. But I wish I wish there were a simple guide, um, but one doesn't exist. And, and maybe, I don't know whoever asked the question, you might want to write about that. That would be a real contribution to the literature. And I would defer to my other colleagues about whether they know any resources that are helpful in this thing. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Roland, and I think the tips today are really quite amazing, actually. Um, a number of people have commented on them, actually, in their comments. Um, would anyone else have a specific book or that they would recommend? Or um, Hi, this is uh, Dr. Hurley. Um, uh, this isn't a book about fear of cancer per se, but kind of my approach um, toward, uh, and, and, you know, really where I learned about being compassionate towards fear is in the work of uh, Pema Chodron, who is a meditation teacher. She's American-born but has this Tibetan name. And her book, um, When Things Fall Apart, um, taught me a great deal about um, sort of uh, being able to relate to uh, fear uh, rather than instantly rejecting it and pushing it away. Excellent. And can you spell her last name or the year that it was? Sure. Came out? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It came out over ten years ago. Um, her last mm-hmm. name is spelled Chodron, C H O D R O N. And even though she comes out of a Tibetan Buddhist tradition, um, it, it, she's uh, she has a very uh, kind of practical approach that I think that people of a variety of uh, faiths or spiritual approaches could relate to. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Um, and we also have a question, um, and this is for um, uh, Ms. Chitalian. How do I talk to my teenage kids about potential recurrence? Excuse sure. me, program, so, actually, when I think about it. Actually, now that I think about it, it could be a program. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, we, do, um, we do have a lot of information relating to this topic. It, it's a definitely a challenging conversation to have when we think about approaching the conversation, you know, when a parent is diagnosed and then throughout treatment, post-treatment, as well as recurrence. Um, if, if this is a teenage child, it may be helpful to, once you have all the facts and the information, to be able to sit down and have that, you know, conversation with them. If, in fact, there is a recurrence, um, continuing to reassure that, you know, if there, if you are in post-treatment and your health is, is going well and you're adhering to follow-ups and doing everything that you can, you can share this with them and let them know that, you know, your medical team is continuous, continuing to have these appointments and monitor you um, and you will not be going through that type of treatment at this span of time. And unfortunately, that is, you know, it may be a possibility, but at this time, continuing to have that strong reassurance that um, that you're you're doing everything you can and, and everything that the doctors, um, all the information they're providing, you are um, you are fulfilling all of all of those responsibilities. Um, but definitely having a conversation. Um, with your family, sitting down and, you know, providing that reassurance for the information you can provide at this time. Awesome. Thank you so much. And um, certainly um, 
for people who are dealing with this issue, if the person who asked the question, do feel free to contact Cancer Care or the um, triple negative um, helpline, um, and um, you'll be getting that information um, at the end of the program, um, and um, you'll uh, can contact us for to talk to one of our oncology social workers. Um, and a question for Dr. Hurley: um, Would you share um, where we can find more tips to handle stress? Um, you gave some great examples; but others would be great specifically for this population. Anything you can, anything you can mm. add to that? Um, well, I, and I think that there are, uh, uh, you know, it's. I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, there are are, are uh, lots of cancer advocacy. Uh, websites uh, where uh, you know podcasts and and and, and teleconferences such as this one uh, have been posted, where you can find uh, additional uh, experts uh, speaking on this topic. Um, I do have lots of patients who come in who have found different things on uh, you know YouTube or now it's uh, TikTok. A lot of people will talk about, and you know it's kind of a free for all. You know, the upside is that you get to explore and 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 see whether something resonates with you um, because you can kind of click through a lot of different things. The downside is that some of it may not be, uh, you know, uh, expert or best advice. Um, one thing I've been uh, finding lately is um, I've been noticing on YouTube that there um, people are creating um, relaxation environments. Uh, Kind of like uh, you know where you can uh, have soothing sounds that aren't music necessarily, but you know where it, it's like sitting in a quiet room, maybe with a fire crackling or something like that. And some of those can be very calming, kind of giving a little bit of giving your mind a little bit of something to do while you're trying to do something else to reduce the interference of anxiety. So. Um, uh, that's uh, that's the short version of uh, you know some uh, some additional resources that people can find. Awesome, thank you, thanks so much. Um, and question for um, um, for Dr. Shapira: I am four months post treatment. Oncologist says she sees me in January, at which time I will be released to my family physician. Um, I will have no follow up tests, just monitoring my own symptoms. What type of care map could I put together with my family physician um, moving forward? Could you comment on this? Um, and um, Yes, this is a great question. Thank you so much. And um, I wonder if the caller is perhaps um, outside the U.S. In the U.S., typically the oncologist will see the patient for longer. In other parts of the world, the care is shared between the oncologist and primary care doc. Usually, if that's the plan, then the, the patient and the primary care doc um, usually have what's called a survivor oh. care plan or a treatment summary. And that is a, a short document prepared by the cancer team that basically summarizes the need for surveillance testing, for physical exams, and any other uh, tests that are required, and also um in a simple way, lays out what to watch out for in terms of possible late effects of the cancer therapy. So with the proper survivor care plan and some shared care and good communication between the oncologist and the primary care, that type of care is 
is fine and uh, will lead to good, um, you know, good results. But you must have all of these place, all of these things in place. Everybody knows what you need and when you need it. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so um, let's see, Dr. Fleischman, can you comment on the um, on alcohol and whether this increases risk of recurrence? Oh, that's a good question. Um, we tend to think that alcohol um, is bad news for just about all types of cancer um, because of um, the absorption of alcohol into fat cells. And even those of us who are in great shape still have some fat cells and into the liver changes the way lots of um, foods and chemotherapy is digested in the body and it's just best to stay away or if not keep the um, amount extremely minimal. I, I know that sounds awfully cold, um, but uh, patients uh, over the years have really appreciated taking one factor out of all the unknown things that can happen and figuring out why cancer happens or why it uh, recurs, uh, and this is uh, one of the simpler things to take out for many people. Excellent. Thank you. Well, I want to thank all of our speakers. You've really been phenomenal. I also want to thank all of our participants for really asking such really great questions. I mean, it's really been remarkable. We could go on for another hour or so. There are so many questions. So I do want to comment on all the questions that are now in queue and um, and just that um, I want you to, uh, we will be sending you um, at the end of this program a survey monkey evaluation. Uh, probably within a day you'll be getting that. Um, and in that there will be all the resources that were mentioned during the program and then some. But I do recommend um, for those of you who have still questions that you go ahead and contact the, um, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation helpline or you can contact Cancer Care directly. Either will get you to um, staff to help you um, with your questions and concerns. Um, and um, also, um, for those of you who have questions and you, the questions were either answered or you didn't, you, you have a question that still wasn't answered or you thought of another question, please take your questions back to your healthcare team. This is a good practice run for discussing these questions with your healthcare team because they actually know you the best. So although we've given you some general answers to your questions, your healthcare team may be able to come up with many more answers for you and may be able to work with you on your questions. And um, in terms of follow-up care, if you're uncomfortable with being transitioned to a community physician um, while you still have concerns about that, you can discuss that with your healthcare team as well. So we want you to know that you have a voice in your care. It's really very important. Um, and we can help you to... Uh, exercise your voice if that would be helpful to you or to how you might, um, you know, raise your questions that you have. That's really very important. Most importantly, as we conclude the program today, we don't want any one of you to feel alone, even though it's quite normal to feel alone and even more normal to feel alone during COVID with cancer as well. But nevertheless, um, we want you to know that you're now part of a very large community of support. Um, we have Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, Cancer Care, and then that's Really, there are many, many other organizations that you can tap into, but so many resources out there. Um, so we want you to know that there's, um, we're simply a telephone call or a mouse click away from connecting 
um, to, to support and help. And we do want you to go to credible resources for your help. So that's really very important. I just want to stress that. Um, be sure you're going to name institutions for your help um, that they, um, and that whatever information is posted there is posted as of today or as it, posted as of the next couple of days, whatever, next month, the, the fall, this past month, or it's recent. It's not like from a couple of years ago. And also be sure uh, to be thoughtful of misinformation that you may be getting on social media. Go to your healthcare team. Uh, go to um, advocacy groups that we have listed for you to connect with. Um, we will send you all those resources. Use them. They really have very well-vetted information for you. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.